Are you ready for the word? Okay. Just thought I'd double check. So we're, we're, we're still in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and we're talking. Uh, in fact, after today, we got maybe four more sermons. We'll see. We got that last chapter, and there's just some things that Jesus talks about in chapter 7. So we'll get through that in about four weeks, and then we'll, we'll see where we go from there. This has been a long series, but you've been good. And hopefully we can get all these on the, uh, on the website. And eventually, if anyone wants to join the church, they'll have to view all these. Because as we've said before, these, the Sermon on the Mount was the curriculum that the early church used to teach new converts how to live, how to act. So we've entitled this Abba's House because you're a child of God. That means you're in his family. That means you belong in his house. And we, people often say, well, that church just isn't family. You know, they, they don't say that about us, but maybe some other church. That church ought to be family. And what they mean is they want their way. How many know some kids are spoiled? And, and if you ask that kid, are you spoiled? They'll say, no, I don't get nearly everything I want. No, you're spoiled. Some kids are spoiled. And I, I think the church in America is spoiled. But... Uh, we need to understand it's not just about loving each other. It's about being accountable to each other. How many know there are rules in the house? There are responsibilities in the house. And we need to find those and not just come for the goodies, but we need to understand this is Abba's house. Um, so we're at that point now where the Lord begins to teach us how to pray. In other words, Abba is teaching us how to talk to Daddy. You got to know how to talk to daddy. And we open this up in Matthew 6 and verse 5. And first of all, Jesus tells us how not to pray. And this is how not to connect with Abba. Y'all know what I mean by Abba, right? Our Father. The word there is Abba. I'll talk about that in a minute. He says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. You know what that says? You can pray and be a hypocrite. You were. You were. This whole praise team is here at 8.30. Come on. 8.35. All right. You shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray. They are praying, standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the street. Uh-huh. That they may be seen by men. Assured, I say to you, they have their rewards. Hold it. Now, he's not saying they weren't praying. He doesn't say there won't be a reward for that prayer. He's saying they already have their reward. He's not saying that it's wrong what they do. They're saying there's no reward in the afterlife for what they do. He's not saying it's wrong to pray in public. He's saying that if you're praying with the wrong motive, your prayers probably aren't going to get answered because you have your reward with the applause of men. Are, are you following what I'm saying? Okay? 
And, and, and what's, what's happening here, by the way, the street corner prayer, it's not that they're street preachers. Back then, they would, they would often ring the bells, and at certain holidays, certain times of the year, certain times of the day, I think they would even do this, because Jews, you know, like Muslims today, they have to pray certain times during the day, seven times a day. A lot of times, they'd ring the bell, and wherever you are, if you're just walking down the street, you have to stop, face Jerusalem, and pray. So they were supposed to do that. So he's not talking, he's not saying don't pray in public. He's not against public prayer. He's saying don't pray just for the reward or the appreciation or the pat on the back or the impressions of men. Can I get an amen? So they would stop and they would begin to pray on the street corner. Oh, and some of them just got into their prayer mode. You know how you know that you might be faking it in public? When how you pray in public is different than how you pray in private. Ouch. Now, now you may pray out loud because you're supposed to in public. Maybe you pray quietly at home. I'm not talking about. Because, you know, when you're in private, it's kind of hard to impress God if you're trying. But it's a lot, but it's pretty easy once you learn how to do it. It's pretty easy to impress people. So we sometimes pray to impress people instead of really talking to God. So here's, here's what he says. Well, let's go on. Verse 7 says this, and when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do. Remember when Elijah prayed over the sacrifice and, they, and the heathens prayed all day long. They, they, they babbled. They carried on. They had their phrases. They cut themselves. They danced all day long. And Elijah comes along, 63 words, boom, here it comes. Right? The fire falls from heaven. Jesus is saying it's not for the quantity of words. It's the quality of your words. For they think that they will be heard for their many Words. I don't know about you, but how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us get into certain habits when we pray? We do, don't we? And sometimes we just start repeating things over and over, or every time we pray, we say the same thing. And we just got to catch ourselves and say, I need to be real in my praying. I need to just talk to him. And if you could only do that, for, God would rather you talk sincerely for a minute than babble for an hour. And, re- and just repeat nonsense for an hour. <laughs> Have you ever been around somebody that you, you just wished you could walk away? Right? And you're like, Jesus, I could say something, but I'm... Anyway, it, 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 because none of you do that, right? You know, and I, I'm wondering how many times God's saying, I, I wish they would just shut up. Because they're just, they're just babbling, just repeating things over. They're not really, talk to me. He's Abba, Father. Do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you even ask Him. You don't have to impress Him with anything. Just talk to Him. He just wants a conversation, not a, not a laundry list. And not vain repetitions, not church talk, just talk. I don't know how to pray. Do you know how to talk? Just tell them what's on 
your heart. Does that make sense? Don't pray to be seen or heard, and don't babble. It kind of reminds us of Luke chapter 18, verse 11 and 12, where you got the, the, the Pharisee praying on the street corner, and then you've got the tax collector praying, right? And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Isn't that interesting? He prayed with himself. <laughs> God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this tax collector. Can you imagine if you're the guy over there standing next to him like, whoa, whoa, what? How did I get into this? <laughs> Why are you talking about me like that? You know, the poor guy's over there praying. <laughs> I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Shut up. God's up there going like, oh, I don't want your tithes if that's what you've given it for. Come on. But then, you know, you know what happened. The tax collectors bowed down, not, and he's bowed down and he's saying, Father, forgive me, which prayer God heard. He confessed. He didn't say, I'm all this. He said, I'm all that. I've sinned. I've stolen. I've, I've done this. I've done that. Can you, you understand the heart of God. You know this. You know this. But then he begins to show us how to pray, how to pray. And you, you know where I'm going with this. Verse 9 talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. So he says, in this manner, here's how you pray. Here's how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, separate, be your, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day. Our daily bread, come on, forgive us our debts as, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For yours is the kingdom. He shows us how to pray. There are actually six petitions in this prayer, and you know, and we've probably, and we've done it in the past, we probably take six, maybe seven weeks to preach through the Lord's Prayer. How many know I could do it? There's plenty here to preach. Unfortunately, I have about 10 minutes left. But you understand the Lord's Prayer, and we just want to go through these six petitions real quick and look at them because it's the first three are about His glory, and the last three are about, uh, about your well-being. So it's, it's about His name, His kingdom, and His will. Got that? His name, his kingdom, and his will. And the, and the last three petitions are about give us, lead us, and deliver us. So let's look at his name, his name. Galatians 4, 6 talks about his name. What, what, what's that about? Because you are sons and daughters. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. We're part of a family. His name now is our name. When you're adopted, you get the name of your adoptee, right, of the person who adopts you. It says our father, not my father, because we're family. I, I don't understand these people, these tree hugger types. 
It's just me and Jesus. We got a good thing going. You have brothers and sisters. You have brothers and sisters. I don't know, maybe you're a part of a family like this where you've got a few out there that never come to anything, disown the rest of the family. Doesn't matter if they disown you or not. you still got the same blood. You may not like old uncle so-and-so, but you got his blood. <laughs> your family, whether you like it or not, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Come on. Come on. It's the same way in the spirit. We don't always get along. You may not like everyone, but you got to love them. <laughs> not sure how those two things work. <laughs> We're family. So we say our father, amen. In fact, families that don't recognize each other, they call them dysfunctional. And we don't want to be part of a dysfunctional family by just doing our thing and not connecting to family. And it's especially hard in these days that we're living in now to be part of a family. We're, we're so disconnected, but, you know, families now are physically disconnected, but we're still family. My grandkids are several hundred miles away, but I think they're still my grandkids. Hello? So we're, we're fam our, our Father, and he uses the word Abba, and, and that's okay. We understand that today. That's like saying Daddy, you know. It's very personal, very intimate, very, very close. But I want you to understand, when he said that, when Jesus said that, that blew people's minds. That actually offended people, especially church people. It offended them because in the Jewish mind, you didn't even say the name of God. If you said God's name, you had to take a bath. Literally, you had to wash. In fact, that's where the word Jehovah came from. It's a combination of different names because that way they wouldn't have to say the name of God. It's kind of a side, kind of a by name. Strange. But they, the name of God was so holy that they, you know, when they would write, when they would transcribe the scriptures because they didn't have Xerox, right? <laughs> They would write the name of God. They would stop right then and go take a bath and come back and keep writing. And then Jesus comes along and says, hey, Daddy. And it just, it just blew people's minds. But aren't you glad we have a heavenly Father? Yeah, you know, the Old Testament uses the word Father a few times, but it's always in terms of him being the creator. Okay? He's Father in terms of creation. But he's not daddy. This is a whole new concept. Our father who art in heaven. So even though he's daddy, he's seated as king in heaven. Isn't that neat how God just juxtapositions that? That he's in heaven but our daddy. Isn't it good to have a daddy who's king of all the universe? Give God praise. Give God praise for that. So names, it's the name, it's the name. We have the name of God. Names are important. Names aren't as important as they used to be. Used to be people would uh, intentionally name their children, uh, so kind of name their character. Now we just pull four or five names and throw the, word, throw the letters together, and it's like, <clears throat> but we used to do that. We used to name our businesses by our last name. Now we come up with all these cool names and weird things, you know. Apple, 
Apple's the name of my company, and I'm going to have an apple with a little bite out of it, and that's my logo. It's kind of like Adam and Eve again, isn't it? But names, people used to name things to define character. If you're in Abba's family, you need to have the character of the family. You need to act like Abba acts, our Father who art in heaven. And then number two, his kingdom. What, is, what does that mean? We're praying for the kingdom to come. And some people have gotten this, well, that just means we're praying for the end of time. No, it's a lot more than that. Jesus said the kingdom is within you. Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. No, no, the kingdom's not here completely. Jesus isn't, you know, everything hasn't been turned over to him yet. There's coming a day, praise God, when he will be king of kings and lord of lords over all. He'll reign right here on the planet. His throne will be here. And he'll be the presidente. And there won't be an election. (laughs) <laughs> he's just going to tell you, he'll be in charge of this planet. Now, we're not living there yet. We know that that part of the kingdom hasn't come yet. But how many know this? The kingdom of God is real, and it is invading the planet for 2,000 years. He's been come. It's been invading. And we pray, thy kingdom come. And, oh, every time you pray it, you're pulling on it to come in Jesus' name. You know, an interesting statistic is back in 1600, they said that only 7% of the face of the planet was Christian. But by 1900, it was 85%. I'm afraid now we might be going the other direction. You know, we're kicking God out of everything. I don't know what the percent is now. But things changed after 19. Let, Let me give a little history lesson because around 1900, people start feeling pretty good about themselves. You know, a lot of technology. They had trains. They had the telegraph, the, the telephone. Uh, so <laughs> they had all this technology, and they were, they were starting to feel like we've arrived. No more wars. We're, we're sophisticated. We've got all this technology. Literally, it was the golden age, and everyone's like, wow. You know, uh, the Civil War was over, right, in 1865. And we've had 30, 40 years of technology and, and, and all the stuff, all the stuff that was. And people were starting to feel like mankind had arrived. In fact, we're going we're gonna to do something awesome. We're going to build a ship that's the most amazing ship that the world had ever seen. Uh, it'll be a luxury liner. We're going to call it the Titanic. And we're going to name it after Greek gods, the Titans. And it's unsinkable. I mean, when they cruised across the Atlantic, this was going to be the, the pinnacle of civilization. This is so mayo. And then the Titanic hit an iceberg and sunk. And I, we've been kind of downhill ever since. Because after that, you got World War I, <laughs> World War II, the Great Depression. <laughs> How about a recession? How about 9-11? But man keeps building towers. Hello, Babel. We keep building, thinking that we're all that, and God keeps knocking them down. Come on. Come on. If 9-11 was a warning, a wake-up call, what happens if we don't wake? And I'm not talking about the woke people. I'm talking about waking up to a spiritual 
revival in America. It's coming. Can you praise him for that? Amen. Amen. So when we pray thy kingdom come, we, we may not always be advancing, you know, it's, it's ebb and flow. But sometimes God, sometimes God allows us to just fall back because we get the Babel mindset. And God wants to remind us if we get there, it won't, by, it won't be by our abilities or our technology. It'll be by him. And as long as we keep kicking, you know, they kick God out. Things go bad, and they blame us for it. Wait a minute. Didn't you just kick us out? You kick God out, and then you blame him for the trouble. Isn't that just like the devil? All right, i got to hurry up. How about his will? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be. One man wrote this. You be the judge of it. He said, many Christians have no intention of praying this. I mean, think about it. Do you re- how often do you really pray, God, whatever you to pray that prayer? Because he might actually say something. We sing it all the time. We sing about thy will. Where he leads me, I will follow. We lie more when we sing. We sing all this stuff. We don't mean a word of it. You think about what we're singing because we're, we're making a confession there. We need to start living it. Our, our, you know, does it scare you to pray? Thy will be done. Because that means you may not be able to have your way. Thy will be done. And here it is. On earth as it is in heaven. What goes on in heaven? How many believe God doesn't have any problems pastoring people in the throne room? How many believe everything he says there comes to pass? How many know there's no sickness in the throne room? There's no poverty in the throne room. There's no, there's no stress in the throne room. There's no problem. There's no hurt. There's no pain. None of that in heaven. Hallelujah. So we're praying in the kingdom. We're not just praying in power. We're praying in possibilities. We're praying in the miraculous. We're praying in whatever's going on up there. We want it to happen right here at Journey Life Center. Give him a praise. Yes. As it is in heaven. John, John 4, 34. Give, give me just two verses here. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him. My energy source is doing the will of God. For some of us, for a lot of us, our energy source is doing what we want. We're happy when we get our way. And not always when we have to do it his way. John 6, 38. Also, John talks to us here. He says, for I have come down, Jesus said, from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus talking. I'm not going to do my will. But then he says, uh, he says, give us. Let's get into the last three. got to hurry. He says, give us. Give us. By the way, he said bread, not dessert. We get, so, we get aggravated when we don't get dessert. That's how spoiled we are. He said, give us this day our daily bread. And, and, and basically in Jesus' time, this is what they ate every day. This is basic meals. 
for an average person on the street to eat meat was a rare occasion. Maybe once a month they would get some meat to eat. Nowadays it's meat three times a day. Amen? Amen. Pig at breakfast, turkey at lunch, steak for dinner. We want to get all the food groups. (laughs) Give us this day our daily bread. He's also talking spiritually in it. Give us our spiritual bread. Jesus is the bread of life. He says, I know what you need before you even ask. So we pray. Yes, we pray. It's okay to pray. Give me. But just don't get weird. <laughs> Give us our, our necessities. But in, in God's good, he gives you more than that. How many know he gives us good desserts? Especially in America, he's been good to us. But we don't, we don't have to have that. We're thankful for what he gives us. Anybody thankful? But then he says something kind of odd. He kinda, then he says, oh, oh, and by the way, forgive people as you're forgiven. Well, that's kind of connected to give us. What are you saying? I think what he's saying is if you decide you're not going to forgive people, he may stop giving. Oh, I got your attention now. Listen, it doesn't work like, okay, if I forgive people, then he forgives me and I can be a Christian. No. He forgave you. Therefore, you should have a change of heart and character. And since he forgave you and now you're a Christian, you're acting like Abba, Father, and you should be willing to forgive other people. I think what Jesus is saying is, if you're not forgiving people, you may not be a Christian. Is that too tough? There's something wrong with your character. And I, and I just think God's not answering your prayers. Oh, is that, is that biblical preacher? Yeah, it's biblical. He tells husbands, don't, don't pray if you're not right with your wife. I don't know why it's not the other way around, but that's the way the Bible says. <laughs> the wives get a buy on that, I guess. I don't know. But he, listen, he said, if you're not right with people, don't come to me. The altars are open. <laughs> you can come pray. It's kind of like Matthew 18. Uh, where, where am I? Yes, 32, 35. Uh, then his master, after he had called him, said, well, you remember the scriptures. You could, you could scroll through it where, where the guy forgives him of like a million-dollar debt, and then somebody owed him a day's wages. The million-dollar debt gets forgiven, and then the guy who who was forgiven a million dollars, wouldn't forgive a day's wage. This is from God's perspective. Look at what he's done for you. Preacher, you don't know what that person did to me or how many times. I don't. What did you do to him? Let me ask you another question. He forgave you today for what you're going to do tomorrow. That blows my mind. You know what? If I knew what all of you were going to do to me in the next year, First of all, I'd quit. You, if you knew what other people were going to do, you know what they've done, but what, what if you knew what they were going to do? And you had to, go, you had to see them every Sunday. Yeah, I know what you're going to do next month. Can, can you imagine having to live with that? 
You couldn't live with that. But God knows what you're going to do to the day you die. And he's already forgiven you. If that doesn't blow your mind, you don't have one. (laughs) Wow, give us. Then he says quickly, he says, lead us. And he says, lead us not into temptations. Why would God do that? Well, we know from, we know from James 1.13 that God is not the author of temptation. God does not lead you into temptation. God does not tempt people. But he does test people. And that word in the Greek there actually means, it actually leans more to it. It's, it's used, I don't know, like 40 times in the Scriptures and 39 times it's, it's used as a test, not a temptation. I believe God does lead us into tests because that firms us, that, that educates us, that strengthens us. We, we learn, we develop spiritual muscle. And listen, he never puts us in a situation that we can't handle. He never tests you on material you haven't learned. Wouldn't that be unfair if you, go, you went to school and, and, and you got a test? You say, well, we, this is next week's chapter. You haven't even taught this. So what? I'm going to test you on it anyway. That's kind of what the devil does. The Greek word there can also mean just severe. In other words, d- d- in other words lead us not into the sphere of the enemy. Keep us in your sphere. We know that you'll, you'll lead us, you'll guide us, you'll test us, you, you'll try us, but you won't tempt us. You see, when God leads you into that, it's for your good. When the devil leads you into it, it's for your destruction. He's trying to destroy you. And here's our prayer. God, don't let me drift into the sphere of the enemy. Don't let me drift into his power. Don't let me drift into a place where he's trying, where he can successfully kill me. And you know what? Let me say this too. Even even if the enemy does uh, tempt you with something, listen, we all get tempted. And it doesn't come from God. So we are tempted by the enemy. But I want you to know where whatever happens to us, God is able to reverse it by the power of God and make something better come out of it than what, than what the enemy said. Anyway, he can take evil and, and, and what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Amen. So even in temptation, he never allows anything to come into your life that you can't handle. He won't let the devil kill you, stop you. He just won't lead us not into temptation. Ah, praise God. Listen, a test will strengthen us. Listen, every test will produce a testimony. Amen? James 1, 2, and 3 talks about this. My brethren, count it all joy. Joy. Oh, y'all aren't hearing me. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You know what that means? Whoopee! Another test! Yay! I'm so happy. God, can I have another one tomorrow? He said, count it joy when you fall into various trials. I'm not exaggerating, am I? What does count it joy mean? Just a smile? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces. And then finally he says this, deliver us. Deliver us. 
from the evil one. Deliver us from his influence, from his power. Deliver us. The evil one wants to get a hold of you, but God, please deliver us.